Revelation 12. So I got 10 I got to read today. <laughs> so pray for me. I, I know, it's bad. Thanksgiving, I was all the way up to like, like Jude. And then the next thing you know, I just fell off. I just kept reading Revelations 1 through 5 over and over and over again. And the next thing you know, here I am, you know. But the amazing thing is that the Word of God will always continue to reveal itself. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. It's always been there. It's just that the Lord took my took the veil away from my eyes to allow me to see things as I mature and as I grow. If we go, oh, let me say, so the misconception of the gospel, there's a general test that we can give to see if someone understands the Holy Scriptures and its doctrinal central point, which is the gospel. Everything in the Old Testament, all the way from the beginning of time, from Genesis 1-1, all the way up into Malachi, talks about the coming of the Lord. And everything afterwards, from Matthew 1 all the way to Revelation 22, talks about the coming of the Lord, or the Lord being here, or was following the coming of the Lord. Now, this is the amazing thing. Many people think that there is a, well, let me say this. I want to I wanna definitely be careful with this. We always talk about the second coming. But actually, the second coming will be an actual second going. Or, because what it's going to be is, just as on the day of Christ's death, burial, right? Remember when it says that they had an earthquake and the foundation of the world was shaken? And those that were dead in Christ, those that knew him, right, that had walked with him, were awakened out of their grave. Well, the same thing's going to happen. So when Christ returned at that time, he won't be returning. He's coming back for his church, for his people. All right? Now, there's going to be a coming back for his thousand-year reign and all of that. But we want to understand the gospel and give the gospel today where people don't have to live through that, that, that time of the tribulation, the tribulationary period. We will have tribulation, but we haven't reached the tribulation period. Right? As individuals, we will. If we go into the highways and the byways and ask certain questions of inquiring minds, we can inquire and, and see if somebody understands what the true gospel is. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be, be reading verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be reading 1 through 4. I do apologize because it has taken me some time to get to this point. But I just think that it's important that we um, take time at times to break some things down. So we're going to 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. And the word reads, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach unto you. Now, what did he just say? The what? The gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have conceived, and wherein ye stand. That's where we're standing at today. We're standing in the gospel if we are living the Bible and the word faithfully, by which also ye are saved. You got saved what? You got saved by the gospel. Amen. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, Three, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ, what? Died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, this right here, as Paul just stated, is the gospel. Well, how do we know this? Question one, when we run into somebody at Walmart and we just happen to be talking to someone, which many a times me and my wife have been in this area, we've even been as far as downtown. Actually, we've been around the world just visiting friends or family or people, and people would start talking to us because sometimes we would be kind of like out of step with everybody else because we may be somewhere where we look different or, or, or dress different or something to that effect even around the world as we've been to Europe and living in Panama and Hawaii and all of that. 
And people ask, are you a Christian? And I would ask them in kind, are you a Christian? You know, and I would tell them yes. And many times these aren't people who are Christians, but they would see something that most people can't see, but they're seeing something in the spiritual that is on you. Yeah. They're seeing something in the spiritual that, you can, that they can feel. Remember, even the enemy recognized whenever he ran into a man or one of a God, or either the, the minions of the enemy anyway, I don't think any of us have met the enemy face to face. But we've had a dealing with some of his people, some of his agents, some of his ambassadors, right? And even some that don't know that they're working for the kingdom of Lucifer. And we have to pray for those many days and many times. Many people in Hollywood that I pray for, you know, you can just see it sometimes. You, know, you can just feel it. You know, you got those who are who are who are goats misguided, and you got those who are actually in the legion with the enemy. Question two: As a Christian, do you believe? This is what I ask. Do you believe the Bible? This is if somebody tell me they're a Christian, right? And if they're not a Christian, which when I was in Iraq, many people would ask me, and I was given had an opportunity to give many Bible studies. I was new to the Lord when I went to Afghanistan, so I gave Bible studies generally to other soldiers and troops. But by the time I got to Iraq, I was a full-grown bulldog, so I was able to go ahead and give Bible studies, which I gave to the local nationals. I had some of my, I had level three interpreters, which were American citizens, but most of my guys were from Iraq or Lebanon and one of my good friends from Egypt, right? But they were Americans. Some of them even served in our military. Then I had our level one interpreters were just the local guys. But many Bible studies that I gave when I was there and they would ask, I would tell them, well, I believe that the Bible is historically true, spiritually righteous to the left, and the guiding light for everyone's lifestyle on earth. I know this even as an accountant more so, and even as a soldier and my former passion, that when you live as the Bible states, guess what? You don't even have to be a believer for it to work for you. You don't even have to be a believer. As an account, the scripture says what? Don't put all your eggs in one basket because you don't know what calamity may befall you. Meaning, don't take your $100,000 bonus from the army, right? Okay. I mean, that must be an officer, a surgeon. <laughs> like my cousin who got over on him. We got a couple hundred thousand to pay off his, uh, his, uh, 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 his school and bills from being a surgeon. But, uh, but anyway, but the thing is, you can't take that whole $100,000 and just throw it in Tesla. Right. You don't know what's going to happen with it, right? Amen. Yeah, watch out now. Amen. I almost gave Reverend Parks a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> but you... <laughs> but you got to go ahead and spread it around. And anyone who does this, you're going to be the biggest sinner on the planet. And guess what? It's going to work with you when you take that and study whatever you're investing in. Today, as we talk about the $5,000, we gotta invest in the church. We gotta invest in Christ. We gotta invest in our local assembly. And that's what we do when we give unto the church. Be it $1, $5,000, it doesn't matter to Jesus, you give your best offering. Hallelujah. Amen. Now I continue, and I ask them, or I will give to them the third question. What is the gospel of the Holy Bible or the scriptures? And I would give them as we just read in 1 Corinthians 15. I hate to say it, but many times we go out and the first thing we talk about is we ask people about, even if they are a Christian already and they've been baptized, we ask them if they've been baptized in Jesus' name. There's nothing wrong with that. But even a better question is that, do you believe that Christ came? That he was born of a woman in human flesh, which only human flesh can atone for human flesh. And it states that in the scripture. And that he came, lived and walked as a human. He was 100% God, 100% man the entire time. And then he was crucified, died, and was buried. But in fulfillment of all the prophecy all the way back to Genesis 1 and 
to his own words that he would raise up himself. And on the third day, Christ got up out of that grave. That is what the gospel of Christ is. I have some historical poems that I want to go through as we talk about this. And this right here is a poem that I found, and this is from who many of you, if you've read and, and, and know about some of the old, and when I say this, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the, 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 the community of Christianity. I'm not just talking about the, the, the ALJC, the UPCI, the PAW, but when I say church father, I'm just talking about men that have walked before us, men that have ministered the gospel before us. All of them walked in what? In imperfection. Just as I am imperfect, imperfect, just as Reverend Fowler is imperfect, just as Reverend Parks is imperfect, just as you are imperfect. So I'm not giving any attestment to these men walk, but I know many of these men have written books. Churches have built foundations upon them. But here, in my house, we're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to walk in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And we're going to walk in the likeness of these men as they follow Christ. But the main one we're following is Jesus Christ and not these men. So therefore, this right here is a poem from Reverend Charles Spurgeon, who lived from 1835 to 1892. And this poem is God and God with us. Now the church that uh, Charles Spurgeon led currently today baptizes in what? In titles, in the, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? Okay, God. He should be baptized in what? In the name of Jesus, right? Just as if I give you a check today, right? If I put on there the son of Benjamin Senior, the father, <laughs> right, uh, of Ariana, Kasia, Marquedrian, Victoria, Ariana, Anaya, right? <laughs> and the, the husband of Monica, the songbird Monday. <laughs> None of that means anything if you take it to the bank. They're going to tell you, go back and get my signature on it, right? So that's where the power to cash that check is. And the power to cash the check of salvation comes in what? The name of Jesus Christ. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection. Not on the fact that I was good and I went and got baptized. And so therefore Jesus is going to let me in heaven. Not because I went and I was, um, um, I did all my sacraments and doing our, um, our um, um, communion is a great thing. But it's not a sacrament as some believe that this is a, just a fundamental. We do it as a recognition as Jesus said at the last supper. But it's not something that if you never did it that you have to go to heaven. You know, somewhere off in some far off land somebody said, well what about this person that never took their communion? Well guess what, they're good to go. As long as they was baptized in Jesus' name. As long as they were then filled with the Holy Ghost. And for everything else, for somebody out there in the far east or far west or on some indigenous island that never even heard it, but they're living as men did in the Old Testament, right? Guess what? They had many times that Abraham and them ran into men that they said was a righteous man of God, right? And believed in one God. But they didn't know the name of Christ. They didn't know the name of Yahweh. But the thing is, what they had to give them, when they had to give them the gospel at that time or the gospel of today, as we should be doing. So with Spurgeon, Spurgeon said, preaching themes, oh, correction, let me go, that's not, that's his themes of what he's preaching. He who was born at Bethlehem is God, and God with us. God there lies the majesty, God with us. There lies the mercy, period. God therein is glory. God with us. He keeps restating this. God with us. Emmanuel. This is all Christ. There is grace. Stop. God alone might well strike us with terror, but God with us inspires us with hope and confidence. What he's talking about is the Old Testament and the New Testament. There was a reverent fear. That was like a, like a holy fear because you could just be struck down for doing something. But today in the period of grace, guess what? The Lord's going to go ahead and just let us out there with our leash just so we do our little animals and pets. 
not that he calls us an animal pet, but he let us walk as far as we want to to the precipice. And if you want to jump off, the Lord has given you the allowance if you want to to jump off. But the thing is, we have the Holy Ghost that is our keeper, that is our comfort, that maintains us, that keeps us, that holds us. And that is for what? For the recognition that we may be able to keep the gospel, hold the gospel, learn the gospel, propagate the gospel, and minister the gospel to others. Now with that, I want to read Romans 1. Go with me there to Romans 1. And we're going to be reading 1 through 15. And I'm going to hurry up for the sake of time. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the what? Gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. He's talking about everything in the Old Testament all the way up to grace coming. Three, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, or the sonness of Jesus Christ, there's a great book, and I'm going to have to uh, write it down and pass it off to everybody, but there's a great book that talks about, the whole book is basically talking about the sonness of Christ. When he came, there's a sonness in God, right? Which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Which he won't even break his own mandates. Once a king says something, it cannot be changed. It has to be followed through for eternity. It's not like Washington, D.C. Where they just make up something and be like, all right, well, we're just not going to force it. We'll make all these laws, spend all this time, people will sit up there and Vote people in the office and all that. And then they'll go ahead and say, okay, we're going to go ahead and make this law, and then we're not going to force it. Or they'll come up with stuff, stuff and not even make a law and just say, are we going to enforce something that's not even on the books? Right. Or misinterpret. But with God, it is not so. Let us not be foolish to think that we can take Scripture and do like much of the world and pervert the Word and the gospel and try to use it for our, as Paul said, don't use God's grace to go ahead and fall into a lascivious lifestyle and think that you can just come back because you're going to use his grace as a, um, as a bludgeoning tool to go out there and do sin. No. We got to live the gospel every day. Hallelujah. So it continues. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the what? From the dead. And I love this. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience. So baptism and infilling in the Holy Ghost comes by what? By obedience to the what? To the gospel. Not the other way around. If somebody gets baptized, they can get baptized all day long. But they won't be around long if they get baptized in Jesus' name, if they're infilled with the Holy Ghost, but they truly don't understand the gospel. Which I tell you, can happen. A man, each and every one of us, everybody in here, that has received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I guarantee you, when I have received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and three weeks later I was sitting in Afghanistan, I had every devil in the world, even my first heart, telling me that it was all a farce. All right. Telling me to my face that was all of us. It wasn't just him, it was me in my own mind, in my own carnal that went ahead and told myself the same thing. Was it all real? And I went months, all the way from April until August, when I had another encounter with the Lord, and the Lord had to confirm what he did. And that's what every man and every woman has to do, and that's what we have to put them to. Because when I came, I didn't understand the gospel, I just understood the baptism. But once I started reading, once I started studying, once I started rubbing elbows with men like Sergeant Tosin, who were teaching me, and old Sergeant Major Gallimore, who was writing me, and my brother, Reverend Ken Moore, who was writing me letters, guess what? The Lord fulfilled something, did something to me that no man could ever accomplish. But the Lord filled me with his spirit again, and I've been marching on ever since. Walking in his glory, ministering his gospel, walking every day, trying to live in his life. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah.
Here goes another poem, another poem from Richard Seabees. And this, he was ministering and writing from 1577 to 1635. And this poem is called God Becoming Human is Better Than Creation. Creation was a great mystery for all things to be made out of nothing. People talk about they're creating things. Science today talk about they're creating things. But they always have to start with something. They at least have to start with the nucleus of something. Or the atom of something. They're not creating anything. What they may be doing is reforming, splitting, or putting something together. Fission or fusion. But they're not recreating. God has created in the beginning. But God made us in his image where we're able to create things out of his original creation. Because we are his created beings. And he's given us that. We have more than all the animals. When people sit up, and I, I've had to tell troops, I've had to tell bosses at work, I've had to tell people when they sit up there and make the mistake, I'm sorry, even in the meat, that's just something hard for me to take. When they say, well, we, you know, we're just the highest form of animals. And I tell them, I beg, I beg the difference. An ant might go ahead and build a mound, but that ant can't build a car, put an engine in it, and drive somewhere. I, I can do that. It might take me a while, I ain't as good as Reverend Parks. We're putting these things together. But, but I tell you, but I create. What those animals are doing is they're just emulating, assimilating something that God put in them just to help them do the bare minimum. But we are God's creation because he breathed into us. Hallelujah. But Reverend Richard Seabees, or Sibes, stated that uh, continues, he said, made out of nothing, order out of confusion. Remember, we serve a God of order. For God to make man his glorious creature of the dust of the earth. It was a great matter. It was a great matter. But what is this in comparison for God to be made man by his own hands? That's what we need to think on. God loved us so much that he became man so that he would be able to die for us to fix what was done way back when. He gave us the cheat code for all of our gamers. And this might be a little bit too, too early a service. Maybe that's for the next service. But he gave us the cheat code of eternal life. From the day that I was in filled with his spirit and baptized in his name, I was a mortal from that period on. Because a man is, is a man is destined to die once. And I died once and I refused to do it again because I'm a living forever from here on. Hallelujah. I might fall asleep, but I'm getting back up again. Oh, hallelujah. Colossians, this is our last reading. Go with me to Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Colossians 1, 21 through 23. Oh, hallelujah. The Lord is so good. And he just blessed me beyond what I ever deserved, I tell you. For me, a man that, that, you know, I've always worked under my means, under my blessings, under what I've be, been given, the, the silver spoons and certain measures and all that. Didn't come from a lot of wealth, but I didn't come from poverty. All right. I came from love, but I didn't have the love of the understanding of the true gospel. I did church, but I went ahead and did like most of America and people around the world. I played patty cake with God and went to church on Sundays, did my CCD and all that, even went to midweek service. Went and got my confirmation and all of that. But as Paul said, Paul said that he was a, that he was a Jew all the way from the beginning. And from the beginning I said I was a Christian. But now I have the mark of Christ. I have his mark on me. I have his Holy Ghost. It is what's going to lead me back to him one day when I meet him in the sky. When he comes, and he's not going to touch down the earth. But when he touches down on earth, guess what? There's going to be a mountain over in Israel that's going to be split in half. One to the east and one to the west. But when he comes back and calls his people out to prepare us, oh, hallelujah. I'm going up. I'm going to be flying faster than Superman. Hallelujah. But here it reads, And you that were sometimes alienated by an enemies in your mind by wicked works, 
That was me. Let us all say, that was me. That was me. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the what? Gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Oh, hallelujah. I love this, because it says, we have the utmost of hope in the gospel. That's what the gospel gives us. It gives us hope. No matter how much money we have. Which people always think because somebody has money that everything's good. But look at Hollywood, how many people have taken their own lives. And they can have all the money and all the friends and all the riches and all the fame. Not just 15 minutes, but 15 years. And even longer. This is what I ask. The world is consumed with death. Why is everybody on a t-shirt never somebody who lives all the way to the fullness of their life to 80, 90 years old. Right. Biggie Small, Tupac. You got people, kids, people who don't even know what they is or were or what they live like. Right. Which even, you know, and, 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 and I'll tell you right now, I do not take death lightly. Right. My wife, we were married at this time. My wife cried whenever Biggie died, whenever Tupac died. I mean, she was touched because she was grieved in her heart that these are people that wasn't walking a life and tuned to the gospel. Now, we're not their judges. I'm not their judge. But the Lord said, or Paul said in Romans, is there not any among you that is wise enough to judge between the two? So guess what? The word gives us the right to judge. Not to condemnation, but to judge unto conviction. But the thing is, it's not good when you go to a funeral and you know that person has been living by the gospel with the faith that Jesus Christ died for them. Kurt Cobain and all of these people, our teenagers, we need to make them take that stuff off. These people didn't live a life that was holy and acceptable and, and acknowledgeable to the Lord our God and Christ, but they'll walk up in here in the church. How many of them got, when I walk out and I'm wearing my little bizzle shirt that says, God over money, people always tell me, man, I like that shirt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When I, when I wear my shirt on the boat when I was on my cruise and they said, uh, you can't cancel Jesus, and it has a line through cancel. They be like, man, yeah. and I ain't talking about the young people, I'm talking about the elders, people older than me. Where you get that shirt from? You know, but we can get a shirt all day long and people will sit up there all day long and accolades to Tupac and all of these people. But we have Christ, which we don't have an image of Christ, but we have the name of Christ. We have the imprint of Christ. We have the spirit of Christ. And therefore, we will have the resurrection of Christ as he did in the last days we will be resurrected with him. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. If you can all please stand with me because I only have one minute remaining. And this last one I'm going to be reading is from Thomas A. Kempis. And he lived from 1380 to 1471. And when I found all these, I was amazed because I've had this app for a long time. Reverend Parks told me about it years ago. I wish I would, like 11, 12 years ago, and I wish I would have bought it because every year the price goes up. But you get it, and you get to keep it forever. And um, I just bought it about three years ago. But I never saw these amazing poems that it had in there all through time. Literally all the way back to about 200 A.D. And I was amazed all these writings about Christ and short poems and prose and all that. That God, that Jesus Christ, you know, all, everything that we have that when we see this art, all the way up until probably about 100, 200 years ago, it was all for the church. It was all for Christ in some way, form, or fashion. Even though some of it, when I get to Italy and I see all the statues were naked, I'm like, where they clothes at? <laughs> but these are statues of David and, you know, and the, pop, well, the apostle wasn't naked, praise the Lord, but, but David was. I'm like, why they do that? But it's still magnificent when I saw this and I stood there and I look at the statue that I always thought was only like about six feet tall and it's standing upon this platform and I'm standing in this, in this museum which has been around since 1472, 
the hotel we're staying, and I'm looking at this 15-foot statue, and I'm like, it's amazing that a man took this and chiseled this from stone, and God put it in Michelangelo's mind. It took him 15 years to build it, but when you look at this thing, you can even see the veins in the arms. You know, this guy looked like he spent, this statue looked like he spent some time out there at Planet Fitness, more than me anyway. I mean, and when you look at the hands, you can see like the veins and the power as it's holding that stone. And I was just amazed and I just sat there and I just wept that, that God made a man that could create like him. You know, it was just amazing. But also man has destruction in his heart. And that's because man, man is enamored by death. But we gotta be in love with the right death and that is the death of Christ. But he also resurrected. Thomas wrote this. God deigned to be a man. To suffer, be crucified, and die for this purpose. That by his passion, cross, and death, he might show you how much he loved you. For whom he toiled and endured so much. In the Old Testament, remember, he toiled with us. He tried. He pleaded. Be not then ungrateful, nor unmindful of all those things which the Lord Jesus did on earth. But carefully consider the mighty works of God liberally wrought in favor of the whole human race. Jesus Christ didn't just die for Reverend David Bernard. He didn't just die for Reverend Fowler. He didn't just die for Tommy Crutchfield or Sister C. But he died for each and every one of you. And he died for those that curse his name. He thought of him when he was up on that cross. I want to go ahead and open up this altar for about four or five minutes and just let us come up. And just think on all those that we know. And know that we are ambassadors and agents of Christ. And that when we step out of these doors that the Lord has put us on a mission. To go and give the gospel. Definitely to ask people of their baptism nature and their experience of when they knew they belonged to the Lord. But I want us to know that we are on a mission to go out to the world and tell them about the coming, about the death, about the burial, and the resurrection of a mighty God who came to forsake everything that the enemy is trying to do. To take us into this horrible pit. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are thankful, Lord, for the gospel word, Lord, that you have given us, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you have put a mark, Lord, on us, Lord, that today when we leave, Lord, we would walk, Lord, differently, Lord. Even though, Lord, we have been living for you, Lord, I want to give this gift, Lord, as this is the season of giving, Lord. There's nothing greater, Lord, than giving Christ as a gift, Lord, into the world. To my children, Lord, to my lovers that don't know you, are those that say that they do, but don't walk in your likeness, Lord. I want to be a many of you, Lord. I want, I want to impress the world, Lord Jesus, and not impress the world, Lord, with the things of this world, but I want to impress them, Lord, hallelujah, that they may ask, who is his God? Who does this man follow, Lord Jesus? We are thankful, Lord, for your word, Lord Jesus, that you have given us. We're thankful, Lord, for the, the rhema word, Lord, and the gospel, Lord. We're, we're glad, Lord, for this local assembly, Lord, for our pastor, Lord. But first and foremost, Lord, we are glad, Lord, that you came, that you died, that you were buried, but that you rose again, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all you have given to me. God bless and go with God. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, your might, Lord. Your power, Lord. Your word, Lord. Your strength, Lord, that only you can do it, Lord, because you are my comfort, Lord. I'm a dear, Lord, and I owe you, Lord, so much, Lord Jesus, because you are not my just my greatest.